The following message was recorded Wednesday, December 20, 2023. Pastor Ritt continues our study of the book of Ezekiel. Tonight he covers chapter 36 verse 1 through chapter 37 verse 7. And now, here's Pastor Ritt. So Ezekiel is where at the time he's writing? He's in Babylon. He's in the refugee camps, right? And there's a couple of contemporary prophets who are writing at the same time he is. One is in Judah, as Judah has been destroyed. Who is that? Jeremiah. 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 And one is in the palace. That's Daniel. So the three of them are there. But Jeremiah and Ezekiel's prophecies are very similar, contrary to the false prophets. What were the false prophets declaring? Everything's beautiful. Don't worry. Be happy, right? Everything's going to be fine. This captivity won't last long. God will bring us back into the land soon. Uh, but just the opposite was absolutely true. And Jeremiah had told them, as the word of the Lord came to him, that it would be 70 years before they would go back. So build a life, get married, plant your vineyards, build a house, etc., etc. Get comfortable in Babylon because you're going to be here. Ezekiel was basically saying the same thing, that this judgment of God was because of their sins and their idolatry, yet the false prophets were giving a contrary message. But uh, what we're going to see this evening is that God has determined to, on his own, unilaterally, to forgive Israel, to restore Israel, and to establish them as his people once again. His grace is so absolutely amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so as we begin chapter 36, it is contrary to verse to chapter 30. What was the issue in chapter 35? Who was he judging then? Chapter 35, verse 1. Mount Seir, excuse me, verse 2. Edom, Mount Seir, which is Edom. And he's judging Mount Seir or Edom. Now, he had previously had prophesied the judgment of Edom, but we said what God is really doing here is using Edom or Mount Seir as an example of the judgment that's coming to the Gentile nations surrounding Israel for their attitude towards our actions, attitude or actions towards Israel, which were uh, not good. And we see that happening today. Uh, listening to a uh, Jewish Harvard student who was being interviewed and how discouraged he was with his peers and the faculty and the whole Harvard University over the uh, anti-Semitic uh, rhetoric and the violence that is, is being threatened against these students for simply being Jewish. He said, it's not that they're pro-Palestinian, it's that they're anti-Semitic. And uh, that's supernatural, what we're seeing happen. But God is going to be judging the Gentile nations. He did in the past. He is going to in the future as well, and he'll be talking about that. So this is contrary to Mount Seir. It is going to be the Mount of Israel. Chapter 1 of verse, excuse me, chapter 36, verse 1. You, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has said to you, Aha! Aha! The ancient heights have become our possession. What enemy would have said that? Aha! Now, remember, this is going to be going out into the future. So what are the Palestinians saying? What is Hamas saying? What is Hezbollah saying? What are these protesters saying? They, from the river to the sea. Hmm? They want intifada. We, had, we have university students throughout the country calling for an intifada. What's an intifada? It's violence. It's terrorist activity executed to try to get your way, right? 
to try to convince the government or whatever the authority is uh, to bow to your demands. And so if we look at what's happening today and we consider Islam or, or the Muslim world or Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, Islamic Jihad, what are they saying? That the ancient heights have become our possession that belongs to us. They don't want Israel to coexist. They want Israel to cease to exist, right? And this is precisely what he's saying here. Isn't that interesting? Therefore prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, because they have made you desolate, swallowed you up on every side so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations, and you are taken by the lips of talkers and slandered by the people. Uh, look at the things they're saying about the Jewish people, the Jewish libel. It's been going on since, since Egypt. But when we consider World War II and uh, not Mein Kampf, ever read that? Exodus of that? No. The, the libel against the Jews, what did they say the European Jews were doing? They, they, were, they were kidnapping Gentile children, killing them, draining their blood, and using it to make matzah. And that wasn't true. None of that was true. No, it's a lie. People do lie, don't they? Yeah. And so none of that was true. It was a, it was a Jewish lie. But it was just to incite their violence and their aggression towards the Jews. And that's precisely what's happening today with all of the lies and the slander that's being told. Hmm? taken by the lips of talkers, slandered by the people. Verse 4, therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, the desolate wastes, the cities that have been forsaken, which became plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations all around. Now, I don't know when, but sometime in the near future, Israel, uh, it appears, is going to win this battle with Hamas. But there's another battle coming that Israel's not going to win. God will intervene, but not until there's a tremendous amount of loss of life. Actually, two-thirds of the Jewish population will lose their life in the next battle that's coming. And they'll have to flee to Edom, interestingly enough, to the rock city of Petra, where God will preserve them. If you read uh, Revelation 12, you can get a little more detail about that, as it's speaking of what has taken place. Uh, but we're going to see that this... Prophecy here is yet to take place where the nations of the world do disperse the Jews once again, displace them from the land. But not permanently. It'll be a very temporary situation because God's going to make intervention. If you're reading Bible prophecy and you understand, as we get back further into uh, chapters 37, 38, and 39, we'll cover more of that in the coming weeks. But he goes on to say in verse 5, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom. Uh, you don't want to be experiencing God's burning jealousy, do you? No. Uh, someone, I was having a conversation today with someone asking me, uh, how, do I, how do I approach this generation, this next generation? How do I talk to them? How, you know, if you had just a few minutes to speak with them, what would you try to do? What would the emphasis be? And so well, the emphasis, and this is uh, someone who's speaking to a group of, uh, of uh, Christian athletes, you know, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, public school. And uh, I said, well, you've got to get them lost. They've they got to see their need for the Savior. Right now, uh, everybody is so casual in their approach to God. There's no real fear of God. And they think that they can, they can call themselves Christian, they can say they accepted God in their heart, and then live any way they want. And that's just not true, is it? No. No, 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 no. 
there are terms of surrender that God has established. And when a person is born again, the Holy Spirit is in them, convicting them of sin, right? Leading them into righteousness. And so that's what should take place. We have a lot of uh, presumption upon the grace of God today. Everybody wants to talk about the love of God, but they don't want to talk about the judgment of God that's coming. And every human being is either the object of his perfect love or the, the object of his perfect wrath. The determining factor is where you are with Jesus Christ. Are you surrendered to him? Are you yield to him? Do you abide in him, as we were talking about on Sunday? The joy of abiding. No, surely I've spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all of Edom. Edom is really representative of the Gentile nations at this point. Who gave my land to themselves, a possession, a wholehearted joy, and, a spite, and spiteful minds in order to plunder its open country. Uh, they have contempt for Israel. Is there contempt for Israel today? Oh, no doubt about it. Um, I, I just can't believe what our president has said recently this, uh, this past week in that uh, Israel needs to ratchet back the war, not be so intense, a little more surgical in their strikes. In their, but, but he also said there needs to be a change of government. Did you hear that? Netanyahu uh, has been warned by Biden that there needs to be a change of government. What is he really saying? That, that, now, that, that Biden needs to go. Isn't it amazing how we think we have the, the, uh, the right to declare regime change all over the world? Hmm? Well, I didn't think that went over very well. Anybody pay attention to what Xi, Xi Jinping, said to uh, Biden at the last little love fest they had in California? I'm sorry? That he's going to take Taiwan. He told Biden directly, no ambiguity. He said, there will be the unification of Taiwan, either through diplomacy or whatever other means we, we find necessary. Isn't that interesting? So that's going to be the next major event, isn't it? Yeah. And it'll be surprising to see what this administration does. How many, how many, since October 17th, how many attacks on American installations thus far? 98. 98 attacks. That's pretty close to 100, isn't it? Yeah. And what have we done about it? Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Isn't that amazing to you? The weakness yeah, that we're just. Shipping line. All the ships down to the Red Sea. Oh, yeah. The cost that's going to be to America. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Maersk refuses to sail into the. Now, if they don't go into the Red Sea, they can't get up and get into the uh, Suez Canal and into the Mediterranean. That's the problem. And they have to call over here on the Horn of Africa. Uh, adds an uh, extensive amount of time to the trip and also cost. So it's really going to be disruptive if we don't do something. But we have our international partners. We don't need any international partners. We know what, we need, what needs to be done. We just don't have the will to do it. Hmm? Um, Sunday night, we'll talk about politics. Verse 6, therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, thus says the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealousy, in my fury, because you have bore the shame of the nations. And so rather than trusting in God, they're trusting in the alliances. In, in the past, it was alliance with Egypt against uh, uh, Babylon, uh, the Assyrians. Uh, today, who is, who is Israel really trusting in today for their survival? The United States where they really need to be trusting in God. And, and God is jealous, jealous of the fact that they put more trust in the nations and in their own ability than they do in the Lord. 
Uh, but that'll change. He's going to use all of this to bring them to the place where they surrender their hearts. To, where Joel is, Joel's prophecies in chapter 2 will be fulfilled. Where the spirit of grace and supplication falls upon the Israeli people, the Jewish people in, in mass, and they will see him whom they have pierced. There'll be their salvation would come as a direct work of God, God alone. But you, O mountains of Israel, verse 8, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. Now, he's talking now about the restoration of the land. He's going to restore the land that has been taken, and he's going to restore it back to his people. He's going to put the people back into the land, the restored land that he has. And then once the people are restored back to the land, he's going to cause a spiritual revival where the people will be restored unto himself. And who's going to do all this? God is. For indeed, verse 9, I am for you, and I will turn you, and you shall be tilled and sown. What does it mean he's going to turn them? Cause me to come, Lord, and I will come. Cause me to turn, and I shall be turned. Do you want to say something? To repent. That's right. Teshuvah. You ever hear that word, teshuvah? No? It means to return unto the Lord to turn back to the Lord instead of turning away from the Lord. But who causes them to turn? Who causes them to come, as the prophet is indicating? God does. God does. It's not within them. It's what God is doing in them. Verse 10, I will multiply men upon you and the house of Israel, all of it, and the cities shall be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bear young. I will make you inhabit as in the former times and, and do better for you than at the beginnings. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Gail mentioned to me, was it yesterday or today? You said, I, I, wish, you, I wish you could go back to the way things were, Right? No, I don't want to go back to the way things were. I want to go forward to the way things are going to be. Don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? Yeah. No, can, can, you, can you imagine the, the joy, the jubilation that Noah and his family felt when they walked off? The, what, what was characteristic of the days of Noah before the flood came? The, the thoughts and the hearts of man continually were... Evil. Ooh, that's a frightening word, isn't it? Evil. Huh? If you take the E out of evil, what do you got? V-I-L-E. What is that? Vile. Ooh. You take the V out, what do you got? I-L. What is that? Ill. Take the I out, what do you got? Right where you're going to go. L. We're going to hell if you don't behave, right? If you don't... Surrender to Jesus Christ, right? But it was continually evil, the thoughts and the intents of men's heart, and violence filled the earth. Does that describe today? My goodness. The leader of the largest Christian denomination in the world has just said, it's quite acceptable to bless same-sex unions. It's quite, quite acceptable to give their acceptance of what God says is an abomination. The Pope. The Pope. The Pope declared that uh, it's now legitimate for priests all over the world to bless same-sex union. Unbelievable. Verse 12, yes. I will cause men to walk on you, my people Israel. They shall take possession of you, and you shall be their inheritance. No more shall they be bereaved of, their, of them of my children. 
Thus says the Lord God, because you say, because they say to you, you devour men and bereave your nation of children. Therefore, you shall devour men no more, nor bereave any nation anymore, says the Lord God. Nor will I let you hear the taunts of the nations anymore, nor bear the reproach of the peoples anymore, nor shall you cause your nation to stumble anymore, says the Lord God. So he's renewing the, the land. He's going to renew the people back to the land. And he's telling them that this, this bitterness, this hatred, this anti-Semitic attitude that the world has instigated by Satan himself is going to end. He's going to bring it to an end. But there's no other way to explain the hatred, the unnatural hatred of the Jewish people that has been existing for millennium. When did it begin? Egypt began in Egypt, when they were the Himrabi, right? When God was multiplying the people and the people were growing strong and, and the Pharaoh and the Egyptians were, were in fear of them. Verse 16 now. You have a, you have a heading over verse 16, anybody? The Lord's concern for, for his holy name. Okay, he's going to mention that a few times. The renewal of Israel, the rebirth of Israel. The rebirth of Israel is going to take place not because of them, not because they merit it, not because they deserve it, not even because they've asked for it, but because of his name's sake. And this is what he's going to go on to say. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. When a woman was going through her time, uh, she was ceremonially unclean, and therefore she couldn't go and worship the Lord. But what the Lord is saying here is their behavior and their conduct, their actions, their attitudes, all displayed an uncleanness. They, were, they defiled the land by just being present in it. These are the people of Israel. Hmm. How does God react to them? Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols with which they had defiled it. And so I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. So God did judge them. He judged the northern kingdom of, of Israel, right, which capital was Samaria, and he used the Assyrians to judge them. They were carried away into captivity. The northern kingdom was no more. The southern kingdom, 150 years later or so, uh, destroyed by Babylon. No more. Why? Because of their idolatry. They defiled the land. But this is what he's saying here. Now, now, this was his punishment, not his judgment, right? Because we know that judgment can be permanent, but punishment is temporary. Punishment is for the purpose of turning them back to him, right? And that's really what he desired for his people. He goes on to say, verse 20, when they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. Uh, they got thrown out of the land because of their rebellion. Now, when did they get thrown out of the land and dispersed among the nations? Yeah, 70 AD. 70 AD, not to be a nation again until our modern era, 1940, May 14th, 1948. The world should have woken up that, that something significant had taken place. And Israel should have woken up to that fact as well, but they have yet to do that. Verse 21, but I had concern for what? My holy name. You see, God recognizes that his name is on the line. 
Now, if the people are dispersed throughout the nations of the world, they're no longer in the nation of Israel, they're no longer the people of God, and, and well, how strong is your God? Your God couldn't protect you, your God couldn't provide for you. So his name was on the line, his reputation. And that's why he rescues them, to display his great grace, the wonder of his mercy, his compassion, his loving kindness, his faithfulness. And the promises that God makes to Israel, the most precious promises that he makes to you and I, they're unilateral. What does it mean to be the unilateral? Does, does dad ever make you a promise, but it doesn't depend upon you doing anything? He just promises you're going to do something? Does he ever do that? No. <laughs> well, he's a good dad, because he should make a promise, and you should have to do something to reserve it, right? But that's not what we're saying here. God is saying, I'm going to make a promise to you, but you don't have to do anything to receive this promise, this blessing that I'm going to give you. It's unilateral. God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. The most precious promises that God has made to Israel are unilateral. Do you understand and realize the most precious promises God has made to us are unilateral? Yeah. Amazing grace. That's what we call it, amazing, don't we? Hmm? So he goes on to say, uh, let's see, my holy name's sake, for which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. Verse 23, I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. God's going to do that for his reputation, for his name's sake. And he's going to use them in the process. He's going to restore them physically to the land, and then he's going to restore them spiritually to himself. Verse 24, verse 23, he said, I will. Verse 24, he said, I will. Verse 25, he says, I will. Verse 26, he said, I will. Verse 28, he says, I will. Verse 29, he said, you getting it? Who's doing all this? God is. Israel meritous in any way? No, no. God's amazing Wonderful, merciful, saving grace. As to Israel, so to you and I. Make no mistake about that. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of the countries, and bring you into your own land. Who's going to restore them to the land? And then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. So he's not only going to bring them into the land, he's going to cleanse them. And then he's going to renew them. He's going to save them for the spirit upon them. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people. I will be your God. Amen. Wow. Isn't this amazing? My, my particular position is that's precisely what God has done for us in salvation. Yeah. It's all the Lord. First cause, sustaining cause, final cause of our salvation. Hmm? And that's what he's saying here about Israel. And, and you have to understand that the relationship between God 
and, and his people Israel is the same as his relationship between he and his church, the body of Christ. Hmm? That's sanctification. Verse 20, I will deliver you from all of your uncleanness and I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. And there were several famines that they had gone through. We think of the famine that Jacob and his sons went through when they had to send them down to Egypt for grain before they actually went down to Egypt. Second time, that famine was again so severe they had to go down and buy grain, but this time, they had to bring Benjamin with them, right? Why did they have to bring Benjamin with them? What did he say? Yeah, Joseph, and they didn't know it was Joseph, did they? No. And he said to them, he was questioning them about their father, about their, is there any more? And we have a younger brother, he's with our father. Oh, and he told them, he said, if you, if you ever want to see my face again, what did he say? You'll have to have your brother with you. Boy, it's so important. The most important thing to God, as far as he is concerned in our time here on earth, is what have we done with the relationships we have, the people in our life? That's what he's most concerned about. How have we handled those relationships? Have we really loved them the way we should? Do we love them enough to share the truth? You know, we've been talking a lot about that during this holiday season, during all those wonderful holiday get-togethers. Do you love them enough to share the truth in love? You know, as I said to that fellow who asked me about uh, what, what should he say to these Christians, and the supposed Christians, but he said they don't act like Christians. Some of the, <laughs> some of the kids that come to the, the program are some of the worst students he has in his class. <laughs> well, you've got to get them lost. They need to understand that they're under the judgment of God. It should be a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a righteous God. And then once they understand that, then they're going to cry out for a Savior. But there's such a casual approach to God today. There's no fear of the Lord. Hmm? Hmm. Verse 31, then, you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourself in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Oh, boy, that's true, isn't it? We've come to faith in the Lord, and we grow in our understanding of him. And not so repentive over the actions, but some of the attitudes. But there's such deep regret over past behaviors, sins, attitudes, actions. Isn't there? If I were God, I would have never chosen me. If you were God, you would have never chosen yourself either, would you? No. <laughs> but yet he has, and he's chosen Israel. And his loving kindnesses and his grace towards them and opening up their eyes brings them to the place of true repentance, where they see themselves for who they really are, right? A broken and a contrite heart is what God is looking for. What's the difference between being attrite and contrite? The, the prison systems, the jail, full of people that are outright, you know, and they have these jailhouse salvations, right? They're just sorry they got caught. They're sorry for the circumstance they're in. They're not sorry for who they are. We got to get to the point where we're contrite, just as he's saying here, that Israel will, will sit and contemplate, how could we have 
rejected the only one who truly loves me. Hmm? How could we have rejected our own Messiah? How could we have rejected our God? And don't you think that so often? Um, I have to fight the times when I'm alone with my thoughts and thinking about my past and the deep regret that I have over what I am, who I was. Not just what I did, it's who I am. But if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creation. You a new creation, Leonardo? Hmm? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You got too many regrets in your life? You do? So from now on, you're going to be good, right? You're going to ask God for the power to obey, right? Because you can't do it. But God can give you the power, right? Yeah. Hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Where are we? Uh, verse 32. Not for your sakes do I do this. Why is he doing this? Look at verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations. Why did God save you and I? For his name's sake. So we could give him praise and glory. Hmm? Judgment also honors God, doesn't it? After each judgment, what does he say? So that they may know that I am the Lord, God. But he says, not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you, be ashamed, be confounded by your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. Hey, I'm going to allow you to live a new life. We're going to rebuild your life, and it's going to be all fresh and new. Isn't it wonderful to do things God's way? Hmm? And it is so simple. Just follow the blueprint, right? Just do it according to the book. And life becomes very simple and very sweet. Otherwise, if you're living a life of sin, it becomes very complicated, very messy, doesn't it? But he says, no, 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 I'm going to put you back into the land. I'm going to cleanse you, and I'm going to rebuild your life. Isn't that what he's been doing? I can tell you he's been doing that to me for 43 years now. Anybody give testimony to that? I don't hear anything. Amen. Yeah. Ever since I came to know him, he's been rebuilding my He's not done yet. I, I'm not done. I'm a work in process, right? Yes, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. And so they will say, this land that was desolate has become like a garden of Eden, and the wasted desolate... And the wasted desolation and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Look what Israel has done to the desert. It's no wonder why they want the land back. The reforestation that had taken place, the, uh, the uh, uh, agricultural engineering that Israel has done, and they've taken the desert and made it an oasis. They're the second, or third, second and third largest exporter of fruit and flowers in the world. Israel ships tulips to Holland. Did you know that? That's crazy. Hmm? Yeah. So just what God was saying here is exactly what is taking place in our day, our time. Verse 36, 
Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days. So the ruined cities will be filled with the flocks of men, and then they shall know that I am the Lord. Now he's talking about really restoring the nation. Why, when the, Israel, when the Jews have been here for such a long time, are there so few in number? Do you know how many, at the turn of the 19th century, do you know how many Jews were in uh, Palestine? Less than 100,000 in the entire land of Palestine. Today, how many are there now? Seven Something like 7 million? But wh 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 why, why are there so few Jews in the world? The persecution, right. Netanyahu had that conversation with Xi Jinping. They were talking about their civilizations being about the same age. The Chinese civilization, the Jewish civilization. But Netanyahu pointed out the difference in the populations because of the persecution that has been historic against the Jewish people. The attempted genocide by the devil, right? Amazing. But God is saying just the reverse is going to happen now. Who's going to be repopulating the earth after the tribulation period? Jews. Jews were in their flesh and blood bodies were repopulating the earth. I was listening to an uh, interview with Elon Musk, you know, in uh, Italy. And he was talking about the, the, the need for, for us to have more children, large families. That in just three generations, some of the more Western nations, are gonna, their population is going to be gone in three generations from now because they're not replacing the population. And he said, immigration won't solve the problem because there won't be enough immigration. But uh, we've, we've lost sense on the preciousness of children, haven't we? The priority that children should have in our lives. Hmm? Well, he's talking about people being so numerous in number, like never before, like the sands of grains of sand along the seashore. And now we get into chapter 37. What's chapter 37 all about? Do you ever sing that song, David? I, I don't know that song in total. Do you? The hip bone, the sag bone, the leg bone, you know? You ever, that Negro spiritual? No? Yeah, I, I've heard it several times. Anybody know that? You know it? You can't, I can't remember anything. Yeah. yeah. But that's from this text. Yeah. Valley of Dry Bones. Is this future or has this occurred? It's occurred. It's occurred. I'm sorry? Well, uh, February the 3rd, 2010, at Auschwitz is when Netanyahu said that in your day, this prophecy has been fulfilled. He made that statement at Auschwitz, this Valley of Dry Bones. And he's seeing it take place in Israel, and it's continuing. Unfortunately, though, we know that the worst is yet to come, but then when God restores them, they are going to repopulate the world, and it will be agricultural, right? Everybody will be organic at that time, hmm? raising their chickens, having their own vineyards, and those who are repopulating the earth, and predominantly Jews. 
but we'll just, uh, let's go through the first few verses here. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the, sp in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley, and it was full of bones. And then he caused me to pass by all around, and behold, there were very many in the open field, and indeed, they were very dry. Have you ever uh, been in a field or in the woods and you found a, a dry cow bone or an animal bone, and it's so, it's, I mean, it's so dry and brittle, it's, it's porous, it's got holes in it you could break. This is precisely what he's talking about. I mean, there's no flesh on it, there's no life in it. It is completely dead, dead bones, dead man's bones laying all over the ground. And he said to me, son of man, verse 3, can these bones live? Can they live, Leonardo? Huh? No, not from what we could believe, could it? But you know what Ezekiel said to him? You know, right? John said that too, didn't he? When did John say that? Yeah. Chapter 7. Yeah. Where did these come from, John? And he said, yeah. you know. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful that we can lean upon God for all the things that we don't know and say, you know, right? <laughs> you know, Lord. And so he said, you know. Verse 4, again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to the bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinew on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and all the bones came together, bones and bone, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered over them, but there was no breath in them. Now, is he talking about just individuals? What's he talking about? Reviving the nation. He's talking the nation is going to rise up out of the desert, right? All of these dry bones all over the ground as the people were dead and scattered and the slaughter of the Jewish people, but now he's going to resurrect them. He's going to resurrect the nation. And we have seen the resurrection of the nation of Israel. Isn't that amazing? And oh, we're going to see a lot more. I do believe that in the very near future. It's going to take our breath away that Bible prophecy is going to be fulfilled at an alarming rate. I believe in, in my lifetime and yours. Hmm? And thank God for that, right, Leonardo? Yeah. Yes, indeed, verse 8, as I looked, the sinew, the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered over them, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain of these, that they may live. And so I prophesied, and as I commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. No one would have believed that Israel was going to be back in the land, that Israel would be a nation among the nations once again. No one, very, very, very few people believed that before World War II. There were a handful of theologians, most uh, dispensationalists, right, <laughs> who believed that the promises that God made to Israel were literal, that they were going to take place again. And then the Zionist movement began, and then right after World War II, Israel is established as a nation among the nations once again. 
Wow. And look what's happened. Nah, it's just coincidental. Just the church has replaced Israel. God is all done with Israel. Is that what this says? No, 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 no. God, through his prophets, has prophesied the rebirth of the nation, that they're going to be restored back to him, and that they were going to be repopulating the earth in the millennial reign of their Messiah. The promises to Israel are separate from the promises he made to the body of Christ. But we will be co-reigning with him as the Jews are repopulating the earth. Hmm? Yet, to, yet to be discovered, right? Now he breathes the breath of life in them, just as with the first man, Adam, right? How did he awaken Adam? How did he bring Adam to life? I like to say with a kiss, right? The kiss of life, right? He created him out of the dust of the ground. You know what you're made of? Leonardo, come here. Come here. Now, if, if you understand medical science, your, your body is composed of mainly water and the same basic elements are out there in the dirt. Did you know that? Right? Yeah. Now, what does that make you? A man who's all wet and full of hot air, right? <laughs> now, God created man out of the dust of the ground, the same elements that are in the ground. He fashioned man, and then he breathed the breath of life in him, right? Now, the spirit that you have, that's eternal, isn't it? Is this body eternal? No, no. No, this body's going to change one day, because this body's made for here. Right? You have a terrestrial body that's made for this earth. Right? You're going to soon, one day, get a celestial body that's made for the heavens. Wow. Spacesuit, customized. <laughs> yeah, that's what we need. We need to exist in that realm, right? Uh, let's see. Then you'll know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O oh, my people, and brought you up from your graves, I will put my spirit on you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and performed it, says the Lord God. Was it going to happen? It has happened. The restoration of the land and the people to the land. What hasn't happened? The spiritual restoration to the Lord. But that's coming soon. This is such an exciting time to be alive. I, I can't imagine a better time to be a Christian, to be aware of God and his word and the promises he's made than right now. Can you? No. You know, some people see it's all doom and gloom. The end of the world is coming. Ooh. That's not how we look at it, is it? There's a new world coming very, very soon. Hmm? For Noah, his boys, their wives, one day, everything changed. As I said, can you, can you imagine the joy that they felt when that door opened and they walked out into a new world? The old world was gone. The evil, the intent of violence, the corruption was gone. When Israel, Israel was taken out of Egypt, right? The Exodus. Oh, by the way, same day, 17th day of what? Nizan. 17th day of Nizan is when the ark rested. Years later, 
God delivers his people, Israel, out of the bondage of Pharaoh, the taskmasters of Egypt. And now here they are between two mountains, the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army behind them. And they're not an army, they're slaves. And they realize it's over. We're finished, cooked, right? Until God intervened. And Moses raised his staff, and what happened? The sea parted. And God promised him, even before the sea parted, he said, listen, what I'm going to do will amaze you. You will never, ever see Pharaoh and his army again. Do you realize that when we leave here, we will never, ever, ever be harassed by the devil and his minions and his means ever, ever again? Isn't that glorious? Yeah. It's so difficult just to find something to watch that's entertaining and clean anymore. It's amazing. Everything is defiled, you know. Oh, but that day, wow. And when they crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground, and then they saw Pharaoh's army whoosh, swallowed up, can you imagine the party they had? The joy? They were out of their mind with joy. You know. Joseph is in Pharaoh's prison. He didn't do anything wrong. He was an innocent man. Sometimes you feel like you're in prison here, don't you? Don't you? Yeah. But he was grievously submitted to the Lord's will. I, I don't think Joseph was happy being in prison, do you? No. There are plenty of things that we suffer, and we just, we just have to, to grievously submit to the Lord's will. Right? But everything changed in one day for him, didn't it? Wow. One day. Mm. He gets cleansed. He gets clothes, righteousness. He's raised up, and everything changed. Do you know that's going to happen to us? Don't, don't let this world bring you down. No, no, no. Look with great anticipation, because very soon, things are going to change. And in one moment in time, for the faithful who are looking for him, love is appearing. In one moment in time, everything's going to change. Hallelujah. And when that moment happens, you know what you're going to say? Where am I? How did, how did I get here? What happened? Wow. I can't wait. You? Now, why do I know it's true? Because it's in his word. Just as with Israel, all the promises that he made to Israel up to this point have all come true when so many leaning upon their own pragmatism said never happened. Israel, Jews in the nation, it never happened. Hebrew, spoken again, never happened. Wow, look what's happened. Hmm? The biggest problem with replacement theology, the Jews are in the land. <laughs> and God's promises are being fulfilled. Amazing. But listen to me, all of, the, all of those things that he's written to us and shown us through his people Israel were a type and a symbol, a sign of what he wanted to do worldwide for his body and for you and I. Our salvation is absolutely certain. Why? Because it's of the Lord. He who began a good work in you promises. Not because of you, but because of his great namesake. Amen? Amen. Shall we stand? David, you got a closing song? Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org.
It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.